Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all of my friends online. I'm so glad that you are here. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I am recording this as a live podcast on December 22nd. And the idea with that is that I thought it would be fun to engage some people with this in a live way and at the same time then publish it um, closer to the new year. So the theme which you might have seen with this podcast is the top 10 stories from 2022 in the Pan Wesleyan movement. Now, some people might not know what I'm talking about, the Pan Wesleyan movement and that sort of thing. Nevertheless, the idea is like the group of denominations and move, the movement that's connected to the evangelical revival of the 18th century, moving kind of like into the 19th century, the holiness movement, and the dozen or so denominations and parachurch church organizations and institutions that are connected to that movement. So I've, I've had a, a lot of conversations actually recently about that, and that's a lot of who makes up my audience. So that's part of what makes this like a unique thing for me to share. So as people come on, I hope you're able to come on live. I'd be glad to have some instant feedback that I can share with people along the way. If, not, if it doesn't come then, it'll come just through the uh, on the regular podcast as this gets published the Thursday after Christmas. I'm so thankful to the sponsors of my podcast, Keith, Keith Waters from WPO Development and his team that you know do capital campaigns, feasibility studies, mission planning studies all over the country. You can find out more about them at WPO Development. Bill Roberts, and his, as a financial planner, he's been somebody who supported this ministry. I just had a nice long conversation with him about the type of things we're planning to do in this coming year. You can find out more about him at williamhroberts.com. And of course, Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. Now, before I get to the top 10 list, which is coming very soon, I want to give some other folks a chance to get online here as soon as they can. Um, and, and maybe we can have some feedback and maybe you disagree with my top 10 list as we're working through it. Still, um, there's a couple of new initiatives that are coming out. Maybe if you're on my email list, you have already received a survey from me. Now, I say that uh, it hasn't come out, come out the a day or two after Christmas, where we're trying to figure out who the audience is, what you might be interested in, uh, what type of not just podcasts, but what other type of like studies and things we might be able to produce from More to the Story Ministries that might be interesting to you. So I encourage you to do that um, survey, and there will be a prize. We're giving away some books as a result of like anybody who fills out that survey will get entered into a contest to be able to win a whole stack of books that have been given to us for the podcast throughout the year. So on top of that, we're looking at the possibility if there'll be people interested in being a part of more to the story member. And what would come with that is every month there would be some exclusive content just for those members, people who might be interested in supporting this podcast that helps us do some more in the coming year. Um, it's been something that's been fun for me to cultivate this audience and work with you all to learn what you might be interested in. And um, I wanna encourage people too, if you're seeing this before the new year, the Contender Study is available at 50% off. So you can go to my website, andymillerthe3rd.com. That's andymillerii.com. And you can find um, the Contender Study and you can enter the code 2023 to be able to access that 50% off discount for that. And you can sign up for my email list there as well. Okay, what you're all here for, I'm going to bring. So I decided that there's been a, a fair amount of activity and this came up as I was um, think, working through my conversation with Jonathan Powers, just thinking about this broader movement and of the kind of general evangelical Wesleyan world. Now, 
you might suggest like some would say, well, that kind of just sounds like a, a even a narrow list in itself. And it is. So I'm, I'm thinking of kind of the broader evangelical movement within Wesleyanism. Of course, there are Wesleyans who wouldn't agree with my list or might not, um, I would think would, would, wouldn't want the title evangelical, wouldn't theologically align in that same movement. There would be some in my own denomination, the Salvation Army, that don't feel that way. So I, I recognize that. So I'm saying that up front. That's what I'm thinking about. All right. So here it is my top 10 list. There's some good ones here. There's, I think there's some really great activity. I think they're all good. And they're all good signs of things that are happening. Actually, one or two is negative. <laughs> but I think it's important for us to highlight, just like, you know, when Time does their person of the year, occasionally they have a, um, a story on there that's not so positive uh, because it's just like a significant event that's happened. So number 10, I'm going to say, is the advent of the Wesley House of Studies program that is happening at Baylor University. I think this is really significant. Um, you know, obviously Baylor is a Baptist university, but it's an R1 school, a large school. Um, obviously it has division one athletic programs, which is kind of interesting and, you know, teams that make it to the NCAA finals and are ranked in college football. But beyond that, I think it's significant that a school like this is taking time to highlight the, and, and to create a program in their seminary, Truett Seminary, for a Wesley's uh, Wesley study program. And I think what, what they probably have in mind is helping to train United Methodists, probably particularly those who come from um, the Texas area, and probably those who are in the new denominations within in Methodism, not just United Methodists. And uh, my friend Jason Vickers, who I've had on the podcast in the past, um, has recently been announced to be the first chair of the Billy Abraham chair of that program. So that's significant. I mean, Jason's somebody who has served in um, a, a variety of institutions. He went to Trevecca, Perkins. I think he went to Nazarene Theological Seminary, taught at Asbury Seminary, taught at um, uh, United Seminary, taught adjunct at Wesley Biblical Seminary. He's been the editor of the Wesleyan Theological Journal. In addition to his own scholarship, I have a few of his books back here on my shelf. I mean, this is uh, somebody who is a significant influencer within the Wesleyan movement. And so it's great that he's he's going to be in this position. So you can find a link to all of these things, by the way, on, um, on my website, and there'll be an article that comes out with this. Okay, so that's number 10. Number nine is that Asbury Theological Seminary is celebrating its 100th year. It's 100th year. This is significant in Wesleyan theology. This institution that was started as Henry Clay Morrison uh, Tim Tennant says, like, cross the street, even though there wasn't, he didn't actually cross the street at that point. In Wilmore, there are two institutions, Asbury University and Asbury Seminary, and kind of the idea is there's a road in between them and crossing the street. I crossed the street when I went to, uh, from Asbury University to Asbury Seminary. But nevertheless, like, this idea of, like, the whole Bible being for the whole world, this past year I've really um, been impressed, I would say, like, influenced by Henry Clay Morrison's writing more myself. I had on Luther O'Connor. You can check out that podcast a few months ago talking about Henry Clay Morrison's movement. I think I'm going to have Mike Longino on in the new year as well. He did a dissertation on Henry Clay Morrison. Um, this person who uh, came into, uh, Henry Clay Morrison established, uh, I almost said Wesley Biblical Seminary, Asbury Theological Seminary as a way to combat liberalism in 1923, and they have been holding strong um, for 100 years now. So I think it's significant to highlight that. Number eight. Now, this one might catch some people off guard. 
And a lot of these are connected together. And if anybody gets on here and would like to make a few comments, I'm glad to read those out loud. Um, the growth, number eight, is the growth of smaller Methodist denominations. The growth of smaller Methodist denominations. Now, some of my friends, particularly like in Salvation Army or United Methodist circles, um, we, we all get in our own denominational world and we stay very connected to that world. But I'll, I'll suggest that, you know, there, there's a couple of denominations some people haven't even heard of, like the Congregational Methodist Church. Um, this church, and I have a link to this in the blog entry for those when this comes out just before the new year, the Congregational Methodist Church has uh, appointed an affiliate initiative. And there's a link to this. And what's happened is many rural churches throughout, not just the South, but throughout the country, um, as they're moving away from United Methodism, more than 100 have come and have inquired about joining the Congregational Methodist Church. I think they've only actually approved 12 at this moment, but I think what you're going to see is further movement in this direction. Some of these smaller denominations, and believe me, the Congregational Methodist Church, one of their kind of like, their historians and scholar and resident, so to speak, is uh, Dr. Chris Lorstofer, who works on our staff here. He's a part of our faculty. He's a, a scholar of John Wesley. And it's amazing the type of things that are happening in that denomination. I think many rural churches would identify with the Congregational Methodist Church. And you might find something interesting from their history if you look into it. And so I have a link that will be included in the blog version of this post um, of, of this podcast where you can find out more about them. But they're evangelical, they're congregational, and they came about in part because of wanting to have a local emphasis um, they even do some interesting things with the way that they collect money from each of their churches. And a similar thing happens with the growth of the Association of Independent Methodists. This is another group that's congregationally focused, and they don't call themselves a denomination. They're an association. But this is a smaller denomination that is growing, and in part growing as churches are leaving the United Methodist Church. And I think that this story, I, I don't know if anybody else is going to report on this, I think this is significant in the kind of broader pan-Wesleyan movement. And I'll even say like a larger Wesleyan denomination, the Free Methodist Church, has also uh, opened its arms, you can't see me open my arms, kind of doing this in the portrait view, opened its arms, <laughs> there you go, to um, denominations that are looking for a new home. So for instance, even Fraser Memorial United Methodist Church, after it disaffiliated, ended up affiliating with the Free Methodist Church. So you're going to see, like, this is a big move that's happened. I don't know if other denominations are being that aggressive with this, but those three denominations seem to be growing. And you, you might say, oh, that's not good growth. You know, the good growth is like when we're really winning people to Jesus and we're growing that way. Just so you know, the Congregational Methodist Church surprisingly has a denomination in the Atlanta area with more than, uh, has a church with more than 7,000 members. So I just say, like, this, this is a time for a realignment, so to speak. All right, that is number seven. Number six, there was a story that came out, I think, in the early summer about several African bishops in the United Methodist Church who came out with a statement aligning themselves with liberalism in the United Methodist Church. Now, this was a shock because the voting block from in the United Methodist Church from what's called the Central Conference, which is broadly, generally represented by the... Um, uh, African churches are conservative, but there seems to be some uh, dis a disconnect between the people and pastors of the African Methodist churches and the bishops. 
And so this came very clear, became very clear as this statement was issued. And there was some controversy around that statement. And I think this is something that is, again, going to be emerging more over the next couple of years. But that story came out. And I think this is something there's like this disconnect that's going to be fleshed out more. So I have a link to a few of those stories that you'll see in this blog post. Number five, and you might say this is just Andy being a bit of a homer, but I, it is really true, and I think it's something significant for the Wesley movement, and that is, number five, the growth of Wesley Biblical Seminary. Um, when you think about what's happening in the life of the evangelical Wesleyan movement, the fact that Wesley Biblical Seminary, amongst all seminaries, has been, on most categories, one of the top five growing seminaries, um, I think that is significant. Not only that, it is, uh, according to the Association of Theological Schools, one of the most racially balanced seminaries um, out of all 200-plus seminaries, and you know, diverse in gender diversity. And obviously, and I've made this point a few times, not something that we have done as a result of us uh, creating an issue for that. It's more or less serving the denominations that we're connected to and being active people in our community. So the growth of WBS is number five on this list. And there's still time, probably when you see this podcast, to get on an audited class or take a class. We had more than 400 students. When you count auditing students last semester, uh, 280 master's level students who are studying for ministry as we're developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. So number four. Now, some people might argue with me that this should be higher on the list. Nevertheless, I gave it number four, and I'll, we can argue with me on Twitter later. And that is the birth on May 1st of the Global Methodist Church. This is a historic year in the life of Methodism. My hunch, my guess, is that the Global Methodist Church will be the largest Wesleyan church denomination um, here very soon. I think this is coming quickly. Um, many, many people have seen this. They, they, they're still kind of like getting their ground game, so to speak. I had multiple podcasts with um, Rob Renfro, my number one podcast with Keith Boyette that has more than 10,000 downloads and views altogether. Um, with Rob Renfro, I think it's approaching 8,000. Um, Jeff Greenway and Mike Lowry. And then I had my friend out, Brian Jones, as well, as we talked about... Um, um, how, why he's staying. Still, the advent and the promise of the Global Methodist Church, which has some things to work out. I mean, this is, it's not going to be just like, oh, everything's going to turn on. It's just going to be perfect as they're, they're moving in this direction. Like, for instance, like, you know, I'm thinking about, like, as in my seat, what does it mean that they are not requiring an MDiv? I think that's a little bit of a challenge that they're going to have to work through. I think they have a reason for that. They still are highlighting theological education. Um, There's some exciting things I think that they're going to be able to do in planting new churches, particularly in areas where there haven't, haven't, there has not been an evangelical Wesleyan witness. I'm excited about that. So, and you can see that when you see the podcast I've done with the people I mentioned earlier, and there are links to that in the article that goes with this podcast. So check that out. The GMC being born on May 1st, I think that is the number four story. Okay, number three, connected to that, but not exclusively, and even to some of the other points I've made, is that at this point, when I'm recording this on December 22nd, 2,200 denominations, not, not, 2,200 congregations have left the United Methodist Church. I think that is incredibly significant. I think that number is going up probably every day. Actually, I heard another church in Mississippi had just still disaffiliated. And you might think, I think I might have skipped a point. Oh, yeah, I did. 
Um, so I'll go back through that in just a second. Um, but so sticking with uh, the 2,200 congregations that are exiting the United Methodist Church, you might say this is a shame. And in a sense, it is a shame. It's a shame that this has had to happen. But I think it's a promising moment as people are realizing what is coming and what is at stake. And I think in, essentially it is the gospel. I think the nature of how God has revealed himself in space and time through the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, the doctrine of creation, and the essence of what the gospel is of a turning from our sin, accepting the grace of Jesus Christ to help make us into a new creature means we move away from our sin. And we, while we'll do all that we can to be a welcoming congregation to people who are not agreeing with us, nevertheless, like we're not going to accommodate sinful behavior and sinful living and no doubt what's coming in the global method in the united methodist church as it remains is a move away from orthodox theology now you might disagree with me on that and i've had those disagreements with people publicly already but that is something that is coming and i think the fact that 2200 denom i keep on saying denom 2200 congregations have voted to leave is a major move within the pan-Wesleyan movement. Okay, I skipped something. So I'm going to go back through my list as we're coming down to the top two here. Number 10, the Wesley House of Studies at Baylor. Number nine, Asbury Seminary's 100 years. Number eight, the growth of smaller denominations. And I skipped number seven, which was, is denominations grappling with, I'm just generically saying, wokeism. And I think that's been expressed in my denomination, I think there's been some good movement in the last couple of months. A lot of times as people are working through these challenges, and I've had, I had somebody reach out to me just this morning, asked me to address an issue. For instance, the uh, Australian Salvation Army has appointed somebody to serve as an LGBTQ ministry coordinator, and um, plenty of things have been released that show that this person does not share the same convictions that are part of the Salvation Army's Articles of Faith. And I think that's a challenge. Denominations are having to deal with that. But it does seem like the, the general of the Salvation Army, uh, other denominational leaders have come out with very clear statements in the last year. And there have been moves that are like, like people being moved who are in positions who seem to be moved to other positions. And that seems to be as a result of their disobedience. Now, that's me reading between the lines. And I can say some of that because I'm not paid by the Salvation Army. Still, like I think... like. Many denominations are learning to deal with this. And I have a link in the blog version of my um, of this top 10 Pan Westane stories from 2022 that talks about this. And so I kind of like link a few other places where I've talked about this subject through the years. But this is something for people to know. Like, like And when you think back to 2022, denominations were working through what this means. And, and it's expressed itself in what is the United Methodist Church. Um, for instance, there was a, a, a ministerial candidate from Southern Illinois that is also a drag, I don't know, does drag, I don't know, drag queen, I don't know if that's the right terminology, nevertheless goes around and does ministry presentations as uh, Miss Penny Cost, and those articles, I think, display very clearly what's coming, and denominations are not just dealing with the sexual revolution, but they're also dealing with a host of questions related to what's generally understood under the rubric of woke ideology. Now, I know some people would say, oh, what is woke anyways? Well, if you don't know what I mean, then I, I, um, 
I probably don't have a half an hour here to explain it, but I nevertheless, like I'm glad to uh, keep on addressing that through various podcasts through the years. Okay, so then we had uh, African bishops, number six, the growth of WBS, the Global Methodist Church, number four, number three, 2,200 congregations leaving the United Methodist Church, number two, the next Methodism summit, it, summit that happened in January in Washington, D.C. This was when 20 scholars came together and there was a variety of subject area specialties and people came together for two days, maybe three days. Yeah, with three days. We had a worship service as well um, and produced a document. Ryan Danker helped lead this process. It was funded in, um, by the Institute on Religion and Democracy. Uh, several other people were a part of this group and this event that happened. I was honored to be there. And Wesley Biblical Seminary had a role to play in bringing this about as we worked with the Institute on Religion and Democracy. Um, Ryan Danker happened to be available to come in, and now he's working in many ways um, on other other topics in a similar line. I think, who knows if there'll even be a future conference, but we looked at this similar to the Council of Dort and for what that meant for the Reformed world and thinking about 60 scholars coming together to define a document of the essence of Wesleyan theology for the next century or the next couple, couple centuries. And it was a, a great time to be there. You'll find a link for this in the blog post as well of, of that document. I worked on the soteriology group with Ken Collins, and that was a real honor. I met a lot of great people there too as we were working that process. Even if I wasn't involved, I would still think that that event is one of the most significant events in the pan-Wesleyan movement as well. Um, and it was also a very encouraging time. But I think it's something that we'll be able to point back to historically of a time when a line was drawn. And this, of course, comes as Methodism is changing as a whole. But I think it's changing for the better. Like we're moving away from those who deny the faith once for all delivered. And I know that's a bold statement for me to say that. And I don't say that, I say that cautiously. Nevertheless, like this is an exciting moment. And the faith once for, once for all delivered document represents that in a beautiful way. All right, finally, I get to number one. The number one Pan-Wesleyan story for 2022 is this, the publication of Our Great Redeemer's Praise, the new hymnal. Now, those of you who follow my podcast, I've had two podcasts where I've talked about this, but it is a great moment. Like now, the, there's the, the, the Wesleyan Summit that happened that prepared the document. That was a great one. What's happening in the GMC and its emergence. There's a lot of great things there with the smaller denominations, what's happening there and new programs, new seminary programs. I love all of that. But the thing most likely that will retain significance from uh, day to day, decade to decade, is this new hymnal. This new hymnal, which almost in itself defines the community I'm seeking to serve through this podcast. And you can hear me talk about that in my interview with uh, Jonathan Powers. This, this hymnal brings together some of the best hymns that are kind of exclusively maybe in the Salvation Army tradition or in the AME tradition and brings them together to have one kind of worship resource. So this is a key movement. I just think, and, and, the, and the idea that it was able to be printed, that is something we're valuing, this canon of worshiping traditions, of the theological traditions that's coming about. So I think that this will have the biggest impact and have the longest impact, uh, more of an impact than any other stories from 2022. 
And I'm so glad that I got to be able to have a little part in that. So you might see that some of my list is a little bit self-serving, but I'm just excited to be a part of this. I'm excited to be a Wesleyan Christian in 2022 going into 2023. I'm thankful that we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has by his suffering and death made an atonement for the whole world, that whosoever will may be saved. I'm thankful that we live in a time where the fact that it's the privilege of all believers to be wholly sanctified, that their whole spirit, soul, and body can be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I also think it's a great time because I think that those who are uniting beyond the authority of Scripture and its power for our world, and like as we say at Wesley Biblical Seminary, the inerrancy of Scripture, this gives us a powerful platform from which to speak as we go into 2023. So I want to say to all of my listeners, thank you for checking out More to Story podcast throughout this year. It's a blessing to have you. This is an exciting time for us. And I encourage you, make sure you're getting into a Bible reading plan as you head into 2023. Make sure you set yourself some goals and make sure that you're connected to this faith. Once for all, delivered to the saints. These that This has been the top 10 Pan Wesleyan stories from 2022 on the More to Story podcast. God bless you.